So uh, we are excited to have you with us. People in the balcony, what's up? Yeah, if you sit in the balcony, you got to bring it, okay? We've had this conversation before. Y'all may not have been those people, and I can't see who you are. All right, so they're getting called out. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> awesome. So what happens. Y'all usually sit down there, and now you're moving up, and there's somebody. Um, but we're excited to have you all with us on this wonderful Sunday evening. We have just a couple of more Sundays of You're Not the Boss of Me. And, and today we've been, you know, we were talking, uh, the first service, the very first service, the 9 o'clock, was the only time, uh, that's not true, every time Jenna's in the room and I say, you're not the boss of me, she goes, I beg to differ. Um, but outside of that, I'm like, nobody can say you're the boss of me except at nine o'clock today because my boss was here. Uh, the district superintendent for our conference was here and we held our charge conference. We have to do this every year as a Methodist church. And there's a couple of packets in the back should you have um, problem sleeping or something, I don't know, um, and you'd like to go through and read the reports, I can tell you the report. My report was our Come to the Table sermon series, essentially, about the four cups, know God, find freedom, discover, discover purpose, and make a difference. And, and then the other ministries do different reports, and there's a finance report and a trustees report, and it's the, it's the business of the church. Um, but two important things happen today. Uh, one is, every year, because I'm a local pastor, I'm not a fully ordained elder, because at the 11th hour I went... Yeah, no, because uh, I didn't want the bishop to call me one day and go, I want you to move to the valley. And I'd say, as they say in the valley, no. Sorry, was, thank you. Um, and I was like, yeah, no, I, I love my community. I'm not leaving my community. So I'm a local pastor. And what that means is I can do everything an elder can do, just with not as much power. Um, and so I'm right here. And, and, but every year, y'all have to approve me. And if you didn't know that and you, you missed your opportunity, um, to get rid of me uh, at the nine o'clock, because that's really what it is. It's either you say yes and I get to stay around another year, or you say no and um, you're looking for a new pastor. But uh, unfortunately for you, I guess, you still have me. But the other thing, the greater thing that happened was Pastor Troy is on his path to get to be where I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What, because where I am or that Troy's doing it, Jordan, I don't understand. But so Troy, we had to vote for Troy, and this is Troy's first vote, actually, and he had to have a two-thirds majority um, uh, approved by the charge conference. And it was nail-biting. We had to do written ballot about five times. Um, we had, everybody had to close their eyes. And I'm just kidding. It was an overwhelming um, approval of Troy, of Pastor Troy. And so would you uh, just give a round of applause for that? We're, we're excited for that. So I am, um, so that, that was charge, if you have questions about the charge conference, I can answer any of them ad nauseum for you. Um, our district superintendent once again said that I was his greatest uh, failure, uh, as he likes to call me, uh, because he didn't make me be an elder. I'm just a local pastor, but he feels like I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm like, thanks, buddy. Uh, and uh, so if you're wondering why it's 90 degrees and I'm wearing a jacket, now you know, um, because the boss was in town, right? Uh, so uh, we are at the last, uh, the end of this series. We have one more next week. Uh, but what we've been talking about, if you haven't been here, is we've been talking about those emotions that kind of seek to control you, those, those emotions that spring from the heart, those things that God is really more concerned about. He's not concerned about the external as much as, as he is the internal. And it's from the overflow of the heart that, that you spread and spew sometimes the things out on those people you love the most. 
And so we've been talking about different kinds of emotions and how they affect us, right? We've been talking about guilt. We've been talking about um, anger. We've been talking about envy. And today we get to, and I told you that when we got to the emotion that was the thing that drives me, I would let you know when we got there. Well, we have arrived. Um, Today we get to fear. And fear is the emotion that drives me the most. Fear is, and some of you may go, really? It's not anger? Shockingly, no. Um, If I am angry, it's because of fear. Um, it's because of fear and unknown, and then anger strikes out. And, but, but fear is that mo- emotion that grabs hold of me most frequently and causes me to do one of two things, either nothing, to stand paralyzed, or to act out in an unhealthy way. And most of the time, what happens with all of these emotions is they, is they get us out of balance. And when we're out of, ba- out of balance, something isn't going to function correctly, right? Have you ever had a washing machine that was out of balance? It goes nuts, right? It's just <laughs> When things are out of balance, they don't work right. And so when our bodies and our emotions get out of balance, this is kind of what happens. And so fear for me is the thing that drives me. It's, it's fear of what's going to happen to Grace when I am gone. Have I prepared enough for her life? Or is Corbin, Corbin I don't even know his name. He may be, I should maybe learn his name eventually if he's going to take over. Is he going to take over the control of her life? But I, I have fear of, of career choices and career decisions. I have fear of other things going on throughout my career and what's going to happen in the decline of Christianity and what does that mean for our church and how are we going to overcome that. I have a fear of an upcoming recession that all these people are talking about in the first place that people stop giving money is the church and all these different things that cause me to sit paralyzed or cause me to act out. I have fear of saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment. Some of you are like, seriously, that is really a fear of yours? Yeah, shockingly, it really is. (laughs) And yet sometimes that just still comes out, right? It makes me afraid that I will hurt someone with my words. I have fear that I will say something or do something to someone and they will turn away from God. That is one of my biggest fears. And I sit sometimes not engaging or engaging too much because of that, because I let it control me. But what is fear? fear? Because fear can be a good thing, right? I mean, fear can be one of those things where you walk into a situation and all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you get a little afraid and you're like, we shouldn't be here right now. And you turn and you run. That's good, right? So some people need more fear in their life. Some of you have zero fear in your life and you just roll through the world like everything's okay. And we're all like going, hey, Slow your roll a little bit, okay? It's, sometimes you're walking into places you shouldn't. Fear is this, it, what it is, it's a, it's a byproduct. Fear, fear is a byproduct of this, this amazing gift that God has given us. It's this gift to, to take information and, and to assimilate it and to bring it in and, and to formulize kind of a projection of what the future will be. Right? We all have this ability, and it really sets us apart from other animals and things, is we have the ability to take in information and use that information to project a future outcome. And what that does for us is it gives us the ability to hope. It gives us the ability to dream and to imagine and to be creative. And it gives us that ability to say, oh, I can't wait, right? And, and so it's a good thing, this, this gift that God has given us. But see, the dark side of it is is when we allow fear to come into that kind of projection of the future, and we begin to write our story using two words, what if? 
What if? Right? And we begin to write a narrative for our lives and use that, oh, yeah, 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 but, but what if this? Oh, man, but what, but what if that doctor calls and what we thought would happen is going to happen? But what if uh, I do lose my job? But what if um, that addiction does resurface in our family? But what if that relationship doesn't come through? But what if, but what if, but what if? And when we go down this road, what we do is we, we get paralyzed and we do nothing or we act out. The thing about it is, is the good news for us is Jesus taught a lot about fear, a whole lot. Jesus talks to the disciples constantly about fear. And you can sum up his entire teaching on fear in two words. Fear not. Amen. Worship team, come on up. We're done. Don't do it, right? That's his message about fear. Stop it. You're going to, no, 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 no. Don't you be afraid. Stop it right now. Fear not. Be not afraid. Time and time again, Jesus says this, fear not, fear not, fear not. He tells the disciples over and over. Why did he tell the disciples so many times not to be afraid? Because they were afraid all the time. They lived in a really rough world. They lived in a world that people wanted to literally kill them. And so they, they needed to know that God was with them. And so this is how he tells them. In Matthew chapter 10, he's, he's gathered the disciples together and the 12, and he's about to send them all out, and he's given them these final instructions, and he says, hey, hey, guys, I'm going to send you out like sheep among the wolves. Get after them. Right? Now, for, for us in 2019, we don't really sheep and wolves story, but let's just go along with the fact that they were an agrarian culture, and you could walk outside anywhere and see a whole bunch of sheep and shepherds, right? So if you send sheep among wolves, what's going to happen? No more sheep, right? I mean, you're gonna, what are you going to have left? Uh, like hooves, essentially, right? It's not going to go well for the sheep. And so Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm going to send you out there like sheep among wolves. It, but he doesn't stop there. He goes, he goes um, you're, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be tortured. Some of you are going to die. This is the worst Jerry Maguire memo ever, right? Who's going with me? Sheep among wolves, because all this stuff's going to happen. But then he says, but don't be afraid. But don't be afraid. See, now, Jesus had set them up for this. Because you know, the, the way a rabbi would teach is the rabbi would be constantly teaching throughout the day, right? It wasn't just what they said. It was what they did and where they went. It was also about what they did not say and where they did not go. It was the people they had contact with and the people they did not have contact with. Everything Jesus did was teaching the disciples something. And there are multiple times when Jesus is taking the disciples on a field trip and they don't know it. There are a lot of times where he's taking them on these educational little, little trips and he's setting them up for something later. And one of the field trips that he takes them on is a story that you all know very well. And it's a story that um, just as soon as I begin to say it and talk about it, you'll go, oh yeah, I totally know this story. But most of us just see it as an isolated story and we don't see it as it ties into the rest of the story. So the, this is what happens in chapter eight of Matthew's gospel. Is, is it says, then Jesus got into the boat 
with the disciples and started across the lake. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. Right, so okay, so let, let me set the scene for you, right? They, they've just been doing a whole bunch of teaching and a bunch of walking. They get into, they're at the Sea of Galilee. That's what the, I'm calling the lake right here. And they get into a boat with the disciples and they push off to cross the sea. We call it the Sea of Galilee. It really is just a giant lake, but it's very deep. And there's some very significant geographical things around it that cause what happens. See, the Sea of Galilee is set down with all these mountains around it with a couple of valleys coming in on either side. And outside of those mountains is nothing. It's desert, it's flat. And so what happens is the wind starts picking up across the desert and it just starts moving as fast as it can and just blowing like wind blows, right? It finds one of those tunnels of the mountains and it shoots right across onto the sea and that deep water of the sea starts churning up like it's a huge storm. You can be on the sea, on that lake, and it's a perfectly beautiful day. And then 30 seconds later, you have waves crashing over your boat just like that. So the disciples were very familiar with this kind of stuff because they had lived their lives on the sea. And so when it comes up, they're just like, okay, let me talk about the boat for a second because I think a lot of times we have a different connotation of a boat than what they do. So now a, a boat in, in biblical times, well, let, let me tell you a story about a boat that I got in once. So I went many, many years ago uh, to Guyana, South America on a, on a mission trip uh, with a buddy of mine, Pastor Scott. I wasn't a pastor at the time, I was going on a mission trip with another church and Scott was the lead pastor. And we go down, we do all this great stuff and it was such a wonderful time and, and, um, and the people were amazing and we just had such a great experience. And, and the, the day before we leave, um, the, the people, the leaders of the church there in Guyana in Plaisance um, come to us and they're like, hey, our youth are going to our youth camp and, um, and they're gonna spend the night, they're gonna spend a few nights out there, but do you and Scott want to go? And we're like, Totally. Yeah, we're da totally down for that. So we're like, yeah, it's awesome. And we leave. We're the only two dudes and we leave all the ladies behind because they didn't want to take them. We understand why later. Um, but so, so we get in the back of this dump truck, dump truck. We jump in the back. They're like, hop on board. I'm like, and then, okay. <laughs> so we like, get in the back of the dump truck. We're young and stupid. And we get in the back of the dump truck and we go off and we, we drive for a while on these dirt roads and we're going deeper and deeper into the jungle. And then we get on this boat, but it's a big boat. It's like a riverboat kind of thing. And we're on this huge river and it's just this beautiful, I don't know if you've ever been, ever been to Guyana, but this beautiful chocolate water. I mean, it looks like this rich chocolate milk and I just wanted chocolate milk so bad the whole time. Um, but it's not, because it's really filthy. And they call it black water. And I believe that underneath the water are piranha. I, I can't confirm that, but I know that they were there, okay? And so we're, we're going along and we get to this Lake Essequipo and, and we go across to this other side and, and we get to the, the camp, and the camp is, you know, it, it's, it's Guyana. We're deep in the jungle now. We'd spent hours getting to this place. And, and we get to that night and we kind of spend time with the kids and we play games with them and, and we have a great dinner and worship time. And um, I think I spoke that night. And, um, and so we, we go to bed and it was right before sundown. I, I remember this because um, one of the leaders came up to us and he goes, um, do you need to go to the bathroom? And I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> He's like, you better go before it's dark. I, I don't know if I want to ask why. Um, you know, he's like, I wouldn't go when it's dark. It's like, oh, all of a sudden I have to go. Um, you know, and so I, I go, and they were like, do not go after dark. If you have to go, 
take more than one person with you. Again, they might have been messing with us, but we were in the middle of the jungle, and I don't think they were. Um, and so we go in the one shelter that was kind of closed in that we slept in. Um, we go to uh, kind of set out our stuff to sleep, and they're like, um, yeah, sleep on these desks. We're like, what do you mean sleep on these desks? You don't want to sleep on the floor. And all the kids are getting up on these school desks to sleep on top of these school desks. And if the kids are doing that, you better believe I'm up on this school desk. It was a horrible, horrible night's sleep. And Scott and I were just laughing. I mean, it was so hot, mosquitoes everywhere, and we're up on this desk. I mean, look, I'm not a small guy, right? He's six foot six, so he's even bigger than I am. We're like, we need another desk. We're pulling all these desks in for him um, to lay straight across and just laying like this the entire night. Don't move, don't move. We get up the next morning. And we go um, to breakfast and it's time for us to leave. And we have to go, we have to get in a boat to cross um, the, the lake and the river to get to a truck that is going to pick us up and take us to the airport so that we can fly home. And we have a short window of time in which to do this. And all of a sudden, as we're eating breakfast, this huge rumble comes like through the jungle. You know, and if you've ever been down in the rainforest or, or anywhere where thunder rolls like that, you know what it sounds like, right? It's just this huge thunder that just shakes your bones. And Scott and I look at each other and we're like, oh my gosh. And so we go over to the leader, we're like, hey, where's the boat? We gotta go. How come, why are you in such a hurry? He says, and um, they, in Guyana, they speak English, they sound like Jamaicans, but um, he's like, why are you in such a hurry? And, and we're like, the thunder in the sky. And they all start laughing. <laughs> no, when the thunder rolls, that just means the sky is clearing. And we're like, okay, because in Texas, it means it's about to downpour. No, it, the sky's clearing. We're like, all right. So we wait a little bit and the boat comes over and we see this boat coming across um, the, the lake and we're like, and we're looking at each other going, we're both getting in that? Surely there's another boat. Surely this is the boat to tell us that the boat's coming. And it comes across and so the boat comes up and they're like, here you go, you know, we get in the boat. And so they turn it around. And so the boat is like, if this is the water level and here's the, here's the level of the boat, when Scott and I get in, it goes <laughs> just down. I mean, we take that sucker to the water line, right? And we're like, oh boy, <laughs> you know, that's all right, we're gonna make it, this is great. Boom, you know, just thunder, just continues to go. Skies are clearing. So the little guy starts his engine, and he's one of those deals. And we go off across the lake. We're already, like the water is splashing on us, right? And I am, every now and then, when I get a little brave, I stick my hand in the water. Because y'all may know this about me. I've said this multiple times. I have a fear of water like that. I do. I, I just, it, it makes me afraid. See, I said, fear is an emotion that leads me. And so I have a fear of deep water, of dark water, of water where piranha live, okay? I think everybody should have that fear. And, and so we're crossing, and then all of a sudden, the sky's clear. Just downpour of rain. I mean, it is just raining as if everybody around here knows all the, get, all the dams at the Almost Basin are closed, New Braunfels shut down for three weeks, right? It is just a huge rain that comes down. And Scott and I are kind of freaking out. And we turn around to, the, to our driver. Scott was up front um, because although he's bigger, he was svelter than me. And so I'm in the middle. And, and I turn around to the driver and he hands me a plastic tub. And it said, I, cannot, I can't believe it's not butter. To which I died laughing. I was like, seriously? I can't believe it's not butter. That's, I can't either. And he goes, bail. Because at this point, we're taking on water, a lot of water. 
It's raining in and water because the waves are starting to churn up on Lake Esequipo. And so I start bailing. And, I'm, I throw, and I turn back around and he grabs a cup and he hands it up and he passes it to Scott and he goes, bail. And Scott and I are just like bailing, just trying our hardest. This is the kind of boat that the disciples are in. They don't have big ships. They have these small, close to the water boats. They have these things that when the waves start coming, this, this translation right here, I read it earlier this morning, it says that the boat was being swamped. Now, I'm not a naval officer, but I do know that that's bad, right? And so this is the kind of situation that the disciples are in. Add on to that, that the disciples and all the Jews believed that at the bottom of the water of the sea lived evil. That's where evil dwelt. And so they are scared out of their minds. And they freak out. And they start screaming. And they run and they, they crawl back to Jesus. And they're shouting. Because they, where's Jesus? He's asleep. All this is going on. The disciples are freaking out. They're probably bailing. You know, Peter's yelling at Andrew because they're brothers, and James and John are after each other. And Matthew's going, well, I'm better than all of you. You just bailed out yourself, you know, and all this stuff. And they're having this fight about it. And they're yelling because you ever been in a windstorm on the water? You have to yell because as soon as you talk, your words just go away, right? The wind just carries it. So they're yelling, where's Jesus? You know, and they crawl back to him and they, they wake him up. And it wasn't like, hey, Jesus, hey, buddy, could you wake up, right? They say, Lord, save us, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He goes, fear not. Why you got so little faith? Can you imagine the disciples? What did he say? <laughs> fear not. Where's your faith? And then he stands up. God doesn't panic. Jesus doesn't panic. Jesus knows the situation, knows the circumstances, knows the problem that they're having, but he doesn't panic. He just says, fear not. And he gets up and he goes, Shh. and the wind and the waves grow still. I, I love this. When Peter is telling this to Mark, you know, Mark writes the gospel and Peter's kind of dictating it to him. What, what he says is, when, when Peter's telling this whole story to Mark and Mark's like, oh my gosh, he was asleep. Seriously, he was asleep. Oh my gosh, I can't believe he was asleep. And he said, get up. And he said, fear not. And then he got up in the wind and the waves. What, what do the disciples say? Who is this? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? But what Mark says is he says that they had a fear upon fear when Jesus did that. They were terrified. It's the same fear word. It's like this, man, they were afraid. No, 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 no. We were more than afraid. Not of the wind and the waves, but of the guy who just told them to stop. 
See, all of a sudden they saw Jesus in a different light. All of a sudden they see this man who just is sleeping in this moment where they think they're all going to die, slowly get up and just tell the wind and the waves to stop. And they were freaked out. For a moment, their confidence in Jesus was bigger than the fear of their circumstances. For a moment, the confidence that they had in Jesus became bigger than anything they were facing. And so when Jesus comes back to them, he's like, hey, hey, y'all remember that boat trip? Yeah. I'm gonna send you out like sheep among wolves, but don't be afraid. Do you remember that? Don't be afraid. He, he says this instead, a little bit later in chapter 10, after the sheep and the wolves, he goes, don't be afraid of those who wanna kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body and hell. He, he says, you know, what's the price of a couple of sparrows? Huh, about a copper coin? Right? And we're all like, oh, sure, of course. But they would have known that. Worthless. A couple of sparrows are worthless. He says, but, but no sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing. God knows even about these things that we hold so worthless. And you, he has the very number of hairs on your head counted. Don't you think, don't you think that the God who cares about the sparrows would care so much more for you. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? God knows. God doesn't panic through those circumstances. God knows the waves that come over your bow. God knows even when prayers aren't answered in the ways you want them to. God knows the phone calls you're going to receive. God knows those moments you will have in relationships. God knows those addictions. God knows. But he's not afraid. He cares. So Jesus time and time again says, so don't be afraid. Fear not. But if it makes you feel any better, because it does me, the disciples forget. I mean, that makes me feel better, right? I'm like, dude, they were with Jesus and they kept forgetting. Like, you know, I feel better about myself. Maybe that's just me. So Jesus has to come back to it time and time again. Later, really not much later, um, they're on the side of this hill and Jesus has been teaching for a while and just doing this amazing teaching. And all of these people have gathered around to hear him. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, it's towards the end of the day and, and the disciples come up and they're like, dude, hey, Jesus, great teaching, really good stuff, A stuff today, really great. But you know, it's getting kind of late in the day and these people are kind of hungry and we don't have enough food for everybody. We should send them home, all right? And, and what does Jesus say? He's like, um, why don't you feed them? And it's not, uh, uh, well, I left my wallet in my other robe. <laughs> this is really awkward, Jesus. Um, you know, Peter said he was gonna Venmo me that money and he never did. And you know, you can't trust that Judas guy. I have my eye on him, right? And, and so they start going, well, I mean, what do you mean? We don't have enough money. We would never have enough money to feed all these people. And then Jesus finds those, you know, those loaves of bread and those couple of fish, right? And, and he blesses God. And, 
And then he hands it to the disciples and he's like, all right, go, go feed everybody. And so the disciples take this and they start walking around and Matthew's like, dude, I gotta tell you, man, we took baskets of food and we walked around to everybody and we gave them everything they wanted to eat. We're like, you want a burrito? Yes, you get a burrito. Fish tacos, right? Because they had bread and they had fish. You get a fish taco. You get a fish taco. He starts handing out all this stuff time and time again. Everybody had anything. And then we had 12 baskets of food left over. We dropped a miracle up on that place, right? If you're Matthew and Peter and those guys, you're like, boom, high-fiving, like, man, we laid that down today. Yes. What does Jesus do? It says he immediately, immediately forces the disciples into a boat, right? The, the word, the Greek word that is used here is, is coerce, is to make, is to, is to force. Jesus immediately forces the disciples after they grab 12 baskets full of leftovers and they're walking around like, dude, did you see what we just did? He's like, oh no, uh-uh, that was me, get in the boat. Right, and he asked, why does he have to force them? Wait, Jesus, um, I remember the last time we got in a boat with you and it didn't go very well. Because he's telling, he's forcing them to get in the boat and he's like, go to the other side and I'll meet you over there. I, I don't wanna go, right? I wanna stay with you. And he forces them over. And he sends them away and he says, I'm gonna stay here with a group of people and I'm gonna send them home. And so the disciples take off across the sea again, so happy about it. And Jesus, it says, goes up into the hill at the beginning of the night and he begins to pray. And he prays and he prays. Meanwhile, out on the sea, the wind has come back and the waves are huge. And you have these disciples, these, these disciples are just rowing against the wind. They're rowing against the wind. They're rowing, they were young men and they were just rowing against the wind. I still think it's funny. If you people don't know that song, you're wrong. Probably said the words wrong too. They're rowing against the wind. And about three o'clock that morning, it says that Jesus finally has finished praying. And the disciples are still rowing. And this is one of my favorite stories in scripture because it's really so funny. And I think people miss the comedy of this. I, I love this story because they're out there. They've been rowing all night long. They're exhausted. They've been trying to get to the other side of, of the lake they didn't want to go on in the first place, but Jesus made them do it. And so they're in there, they're tired, they're exhausted. It's three o'clock in the morning, and here comes Jesus. Just walking across the water. What's up, fellas? In one of the gospels, it says he passes them by, which makes it even funnier to me. He's like, watch this, it's gonna be so funny. Hello, right? He walks by them, and what do the disciples do? Before I say that, some of you, when I start to talk about Jesus walking on water, will immediately go, here we go. This is why I don't believe the Bible. Nobody can walk on water. I've tried to walk on water multiple times. I have too, and I never get very far. But every time that this kind of stuff comes up, oh, Jesus walked on water. I, I don't believe that Jesus walked on water because it's in the Bible. I believe it because someone saw it and then told the story about it. 
See, there's this thing that uh, literary critics use, and this is an aside, so you're going to get a little extra aside here. Um, and, and I learned it from Andy uh, Stanley about this. It's, it's called the, um, the criteria of embarrassment. And these literary cr critics, in order to judge the validity of something, will use the criteria of embarrassment. And what this criteria says is, um, if you are writing a story about a significant event or a significant person, you want to tell the best story about that person or about that event. You're going to show them in the greatest possible light. If they did something really stupid or embarrassing, you might very well include that because it's part of their story. But you would never make something up to embarrass them or yourself. You would never create some embarrassing story to, to kill the credibility of the person that you're trying to elevate. And so here you have three different people who write the same story. Three different people, Matthew, who writes it in his gospel, and he says, look, we were out there, I'm telling you, we have been there all night, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he's walking on water. And then Peter, who's illiterate, and he's telling Mark all this stuff. You can imagine Mark's like, you really want me to put this in there? <laughs> Peter's like, dude, it happened, include it, you know? And John, who had been with him this entire time, writes the story of Jesus when he walks and passes by them on the water. These three guys, now think about it from this perspective. At the time they write the Gospels, they were rock stars. Think about this. At the time they write these Gospel stories, when they are eventually written down and recorded, the church has began to blossom. Thousands of people were coming into a relationship with Jesus and knowing the salvation of Jesus Christ. The church was growing by leaps and bounds, and these were the dudes leading it. They were the guys who, when they walked into your church, so you're like, it's John, right? I mean, you're like, that guy ate with Jesus. Like these guys were amazing. He was at the cross. Could you imagine if John walked in today? I would lose my mind, mainly because he's been dead for thousands of years. But also, if he were still alive, I'd be like, oh, oh my gosh. I was watching the Houston game last night, and James Harden was sitting behind home plate to the left. Did anybody see the beard sitting there behind the thing? I freaked out when I saw him. I was like, ah, it's James Harden. He's at, the he's at the Astros game. And I called my son, and I'm like, dude, it's the beard, right? And he's a basketball player for a team I don't even root for. I just thought it was so cool that he was there rooting for his buddies. If James, if Peter and, and John and, and, and Matthew tell this embarrassing story about themselves, man, I got to tell you, I believe it. Because what do the disciples do when Jesus walks on the water by them? They scream like little girls. They freak out and they go, ah, it's a ghost. It's what they say. It's a ghost. And I can just imagine Jesus going, <laughs> just <laughs> trying to hold it back, right? But what does Jesus say? Fear not, for I'm with you. Fear not, because I'm here. Remember that other storm? I was in control of that. I'm in control of this too. And for a brief moment, Peter's confidence in Jesus overcame his fear of the water. And he got out of the water and he walked. For a brief moment. But then they go into Jerusalem. 
And they go into Jerusalem and people are shouting and crazy and, and they're laying their cloaks before Jesus and, and they're waving these palm branches and it becomes political and they're shouting Hosanna because they're like, yes, finally the Messiah's come. It's a new movement. It's a new covenant. All the oppression is gonna be gone. Hallelujah, we're finally gonna do this. And, and then he dies. And what do the disciples do? scatter because they're afraid. Fear grasps hold of them and they run and they hide in a room. But then they see an empty tomb and then they see their friend Jesus come into that room with them. See the resurrection is what punctuates everything for them. All of the sudden they understood what the three years were about. All of a the sudden, they understood why Jesus was sleeping in that boat and why he could tell the wind and the waves to be quiet. All of a the sudden, they understood why he had the power to walk on water. All of a sudden, they understood everything that he was saying. See, because the resurrection power was what gave them the confidence to overcome any fear that the world has to offer. Now, we talk about the resurrection one day a year. We talk about it on Easter Sunday and we're like, yay, the tomb's empty. Let's sing another song and it's great and glorious and wonderful. And I think we do it more than that, but for them, this was an everyday thing. For them, this resurrection gave them the courage to face a world full of fears. Jesus didn't say, if you believe in me, there will be no fears in your world. In fact, he said, if you believe in me and you do what I ask you to do, you're gonna be like a sheep going out in the wolves and you're gonna be arrested and you're gonna be beaten and you're gonna be killed for your belief in me. But fear not, because I am with you. You see, when you have faith in someone who conquers death, you lose your fear of death. And when you lose your fear of death, you better watch out because there's nothing else to be afraid of. When you have confidence in yourself that life exists beyond this and that nothing this world can throw at me can conquer me, then Lucy bar the doors, because game on. Years later, Peter would dictate a letter to some of the churches he was leading and some of the believers just like us who were living in a world where people wanted them dead because they believed in Jesus. And he said, hey, hey, cast, throw, turn out, throw all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your worries, all of your fears on him. Because he knows them. He's not panicked by them. He's not confused by them. He's not scared of them. And he cares for you. Cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. See, for them, fear was such a bigger thing than it is for me. And yet so often I let fear be the boss of me. So often I get paralyzed in my faith. I get paralyzed in, in the way that I'm a husband or a father or a son or a pastor. So often I let fear whisper into me the what if scenario and I can go dark quickly that piranha do exist in a lake that they don't. 
And that's when I have to remember this whole story. Hey, you remember that time on the boat? I was with you then and I've never left you. The psalmist said it this way, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This evening, I, I don't know if, if fear was just, if this, this whole sermon series is building up to me to release myself from this fear. And if it was, thanks for being with me on this journey. So, sorry, to, sorry to waste y'all's time, but it was good for me. But maybe there's some others of you out there that are dealing with an issue that causes fear in your life. Because a lot of times uncertainty breeds fear. And fear breeds inactivity or bad activity. Maybe there's something going on in your day and in your world and your existence right now and you just don't know the answer and you can't imagine the waves that are coming across your boat. And, and if I were in your place right now, I'd be sitting there going, man, I, I get it. The waves sometimes are big and they're scary. The hurts are real. And the fear is tangible. Tonight, I want you to remember that you believe in a God who conquered all of them. The God who conquered death. So we no longer have a right to let fear be the boss of us. Because our boss, Jesus Christ says, I got your back. I will have you through these dark moments and through these rough patches. I will have you in this valley of the shadow of death. And you will not fear, but you will stand on the shoulders of Matthew, Peter, and John. And you will fear not, for I am with you. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you and praise you for the way that you move in our lives. Father, I pray that if anyone tonight is dealing with a, a fear that just overwhelms them, that that is trapping them for whatever reason that it is, for fill in the blank for the fears that come. God, I pray that you would break them free from that. That they would find the courage and the strength to feel that resurrection power. And that they would have no fear of death. And that they would understand what it means to, to give their life to you fully and completely. If I believe in you and I walk in your path, God, then you are my good shepherd and I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You protect me and you anoint my head with oil. So I pray, Father, that if anybody needs to feel that tonight, needs to hear that tonight, that fear is not the boss of them, that you would shout in their hearts and in their ears, that fear has no hold over them tonight because your son, our savior, Jesus Christ died, but death did not have the final say death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, the God who lives and gives us life. Father, may we know that for the first time tonight, or may we renew our relationship with you and walk into a world full of fears, unafraid. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.